quarterback for the nationally syndicated Price of Business. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Always love having on the program Warren D. Robinson, a show favorite, a personal favorite. Love having him on the program. Uh, he is known as a, a producer, a director, a, a writer, a show maker, filmmaker, you name it. He's worked with some of the biggest brands out there, including Netflix and uh, just so many different brands, as well as uh, having nationally syndicated programs as part of the sphere of influence and scope of what he provides. So uh, we're always glad to have you on the program. Welcome, as always. Warren, can, can you can learn more about Warren. He likes to cut to the chase. I'm going to start cutting to the chase more. Uh, you can learn more about all things Warren D. Robinson at warrendrobinson.com. Dot com. That's WarrenDRobinson.com. Warren, unless you have anything to add, I'd like to get straight to our topic today. Yeah, no, I think it's a very interesting topic. Let's do it. Yeah, and uh, in fact, uh, you know, I, I saw the story popped up. Uh, our team here was uh, working on putting together something on it. We wanted to make sure it was current. We'd like to see it come out today, and then uh, or no later than tomorrow. Then you you came along with an idea of saying, "Hey, I'm available." I'm like, "You're exactly the guy I need to look to talk to." Warren's <laughs> background is, is first of all, he works so much in a diverse community as a uh, black filmmaker. Uh, but in addition to that, he's an attorney. He brings that skill to our conversation. And I'm like, wow, we are very fortunate to have someone like you in our toolbox. We appreciate that. So, Warren, set the stage for us a big decision by the surprise today that I frankly wasn't very surprised about. And I'm actually uh, not I'm not as so uh, foaming at the mouth as a lot of people are about <laughs> yeah. this Supreme Court. I think this court is full of surprises. But this decision did not surprise me. Well, this decision did not surprise me either, and it should not have surprised anyone who has been following the trend that the court has been going in for the last uh, few years, really since the Donald Trump appointment, I like to call them. He got three, and we all knew the, ideolog the ideological bent of the court would curve with those three appointments. So this was not a big surprise, and I, I, I heard you say that this court has been very surprising. I don't think that they have... Then that's person. Although the um, there was a decision that came out last week about the uh, the voting rights that I was a little surprised about. But other than that, I think that we could see the writing on the wall. And this is a very conservative court, and so they ruled today that um, they overturned President uh, Affirmative Action is no longer the law of the land as it relates to universities and their admissions practices. Not a surprising decision, but certainly an upsetting decision. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's. It's pretty huge, and so and the basis of it is that uh, uh, the problem of, that the Supreme Court has, that, and I would say that this is certainly a conservative decision, um, the problem that they had is that uh, there should be no discrimination, and uh, affirmative action is deemed by, that, uh, by many conservatives and by the court as uh, just a form of reverse discrimination. But, you know, that is not a, a fair analysis. And I understand that people can look at it like that when you look at it on its face. But when you start to dive into the realities of it, that's not a, that's not a real fair analysis. And I want to emphasize that people say this is a conservative decision. It was a, dis a conservative court that upheld affirmative action last time it went to the court when we were in the Grutter decision. So uh, Sandra Day O'Connor actually wrote that opinion that said that we need to preserve these 
programs. So it's not necessarily we have a new form of conservatism, right? It's not conservatives are um, anti-affirmative action. It's just that this court is very much on a new ideological bent that we haven't seen before, and they don't respect uh, prior presidents in the way that previous courts have. But as far as the, the allegations of diverse, uh, reverse discrimination, I think people have to realize that even Lyndon Johnson, who was no big fan of uh, African Americans, we know some of the things that he said, when creating the program, he said it's essentially what you've done in America is you're taking two people, putting them at the starting line, and telling them to run their race together and finish the race at the same time. But one person has chains on his leg. How can he run that race? And that is what has been the history of America as it relates to African Americans. We know that statistically, semantically, we have been held down. We have been, there are inequalities in our education system even to this day. We know that we do not have the same opportunities. We do not have the same abilities. We do not have the, the same financial means in order to, you know, do all the other things, tutorings and all the other things that we may need to improve our educational status. We don't do as well on standardized tests because the tests are not written for us and by us. So the ideal that it is just reverse discrimination does not allow you to really take into account all of the inequalities that exist and the reason why we have to say we need to create a fairer system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, uh, I was stating a, uh, a pretty uh, ubiquitous position among conservatives. Yeah. Like almost everything, you know, and this is why I'm, I'm the perennial oddball anymore, is that I, there's nuance in all of this. There's a lot of nuance. And, of course, public policy and public discourse doesn't seem to be a whole lot of room for nuance, to be honest with you, my friend. And so it's more complicated than that. Um, I think that um, – yeah, go ahead. No, you're right. It is a very complicated issue. And I get why people could look at this and say on its face, you're using race as a factor in determining um, whether or not someone is admitted or not. But again, it's not that simple. What these colleges do is race is one of a myriad of factors, right? They have a whole criteria. It is still very hard to get into Harvard. No black person is just signing up and getting to Harvard, right? It's a lot of criteria they still have to get through. And they're not even saying that race is necessarily the extra tipping point. They're saying it's one of many things that may give you a leg up because our goal is to make sure that we're having a diverse, representative community of college students. We want to make sure and ensure that we have people from every culture and every group. And so because we recognize the inequalities in our educational system, we're going to provide an extra tip, an extra incentive to say, hey, let's diversify these campuses. And if you actually read the decision, you'll find out that it's still very hard because that even the, the extra tip doesn't even apply to the first group of uh, people that are applying. You have to make it through to the very selective second round, which is um, Harvard's class has 1,600 students that they admit. There are about 2,000. You have to make it to that round before they start to say, okay, let's see. And I think um, the court said they get over 100,000 applications to get 16 spots, right? So it's a very, very competitive admissions criteria. They're not just giving it to black students over white students, as I think sometimes the rhetoric says. Yeah, uh, although in some of these schools, not so much uh, the Ivy League, uh, it's mainly the uh, very prestigious uh, West Coast schools like Stanford 
if you're Asian, you can almost forget about it. <laughs> you got a better chance to get into Harvard than you do at uh, even maybe even uh, Caltech, which isn't uh, you, you know UC Berkeley. Uh, yeah. It's a very very strange system. So I for one uh, kind of gravitate to the idea, and I know that there's deeper and stronger and bigger criteria, you know, are issues involved here. But you know, I like the argument of a totally colorblind application process and the measure of whether uh, of how you get help and help is definitely needed for all the reasons you stated be based on the deprivations or the holding holding back that they had in their family of origin upbringing there's ways of quantifying that and qualifying that and uh you know because frankly the um uh, mexican mexican american who by the way is benefited by affirmative action but my understanding that the weight system used isn't quite the same from a population distribution as it is for blacks all that should be off the table in my opinion it should be based on what they need and proof of need and not just monetary need but cultural background needs was unfortunate you know reality is that transcends race you know it would that would i i, I love the idea too kevin of a completely colorblind ad, admissions process i would love that if we lived in a completely color colorblind society i think that would be great if we didn't have schools that were allowing legacy admissions, which are almost always going to be white, if we didn't do things in the system, if we didn't have property taxes determine how our schools are funded, I would be okay with these things. But all of these inequalities lead to a situation where you're then saying, okay, we want you all to compete together, but we're not giving you all the same resources. And so uh, that is the problem. And it, it, it goes beyond just financial means because we've seen in studies where if you only did a financial means test, it would actually lower diversity rates, right? Because it's not necessarily just financial um, in ways that have been – inequalities are not just financial as it affects African Americans. We understand that even tests are not written to benefit African Americans. We understand that there are a lot of different factors that go into. We don't get the same um, prestigious letters of recommendations, for instance, that others may get. So it's not just so, so simply lowering the economic threshold wouldn't be enough to still alleviate or, or make the population as diverse as it should be because of systemic inequalities in our system. So basically, what affirmative action is doing is saying, we're going to allow you to fix the mistakes that this country has made to African Americans. But unfortunately, um, the court has ruled, and the court has said that you cannot use race in any way at all. And so you actually use the term that they use. They now said that admissions have to be colorblind. And I just I feel how can admissions truly be colorblind when we don't live in a colorblind society? And so what we're going to see in my prediction is unless universities find ways around this, and there are some clever ways that maybe you can get around this, but what we're going to see is in a lot of schools, um, you're going to see less diversity. You're going to see less diverse populations on these schools, and that's not going to be a benefit to the schools or to the students in those schools. Yeah, I, and again, I mean, uh, the, the, the demands of nuance that are hard to do, even a conversation like this with two people that really like each other and are very reasonable. <laughs> but, we do. Uh, we like each other. I think we're both reasonable. I don't know what, what our, our significant others think, but I think we're both pretty re reasonable. But uh, so, uh, again, 
you know, and, and that color that that colorblind approach, I have heard it used in such a way that I don't think is appropriate or fair. I've heard that before, and it would have to be way beyond what we have seen before. But the reality is is that there's a lot of poor white kids that are in horrible schools, learning in terrible systems. Some of these rural schools, uh, the vast majority of kids in places like West Virginia, where the schools are third world bad. Uh, my, my, I believe we can quantify and easy, really quantify and qualify that their need, their situation. Uh, and uh, again, if it were, would more blacks end up being, or less blacks coming in? I don't know. But there's this idea that I think exasperates racism. And one of the people who has had really focused on it the most is a black man who benefited from the affirmative action uh, program going to the most <laughs> yeah. prestigious schools in the country, uh, which is Claire, you know, uh, uh, Clarence Thomas, who just relished writing the decision uh, today. I think it was probably his biggest mission in life is to see that reverse. Um, but I think, you know, I, I understand agree. why. He always felt discriminated against. He always felt that. Uh, and part of that, and a big part of that, was the fact that he was a black man that went to prestigious schools. It was always held over his head in a negative sort of way. I get that. And that's why I'm yeah. thinking a system like I'm describing would create a lot more equality and would really take away a weapon that uh, has been used by racist white people to hurt minorities to say, yeah, you only got what you got because you are whatever you are. No, you're right. Uh, you're definitely right about Justice Thomas. He has a chip on his shoulder because he has always felt that people have judged him and, and feel that he only went to these schools and only did as well as he did because of affirmative action. He has not been able to let that insecurity go. And so you are right. He has wanted to gut this. Instead of wanting to give other people like him opportunities to go to schools they would never get a chance to go to, his whole thing, his insecurity has caused him to be a main chief proponent of wanting to rid the country of these programs. Sad, in my opinion. But mm -hmm. as far as income inequality goes, you're right. There are a lot of income inequality, and, and our schools are, in, are unequal. We know for poor versus wealthy, we completely understand that. However, I think the problem is, unless we do a whole new system, Income inequality or adjusting for income only is not going to alleviate the problem with diversity because there are so many other factors that the school also weighs when looking at who they admit, and those other factors also disproportionately affect people of color. And so unless you're attacking the entire system and we're changing everything, simply allowing it to be where we weigh, you know, um, poor schools and people that come from poor communities higher is not going to alleviate the diversity problem because you still have all these other factors. So we would have to completely overhaul the entire educational system. And that seems to be what the Supreme Court is saying you're going to have to do if you want to get um, complete diversity. And, and you know, I think that's a, I think it's sad. I think this was a, a very wrong-hearted decision. Mm -hmm. So the poor whites who apply for Harvard or Yale who have all the exact same criteria on paper uh, that you know, we're talking about when affirmative action was allowed, it's, uh, how quickly this has changed, who knows. Uh, it should be pretty quick, though, I would assume. But he, the poor white guy, is competing against a black person 
everything's exactly the same except for race, the black person gets it. Um, how's that fair? This is I don't fine. know how's that, that fair. I don't know that it's ever that simple, though. If you actually read Harvard's methodology in terms of how they make these decisions, it's never an apples-by-apples apples comparison. It's never we're going to choose this one over that one. What happens is, again, this is a very lengthy process. There are so many applications that are cured. You have to do interviews. Everybody is rated based on their interviews. They're rated based on their letter of recommendations. They're rated based on their test scores. They're rated on their grades. It's a lot of factors that come in to help them decide what, uh, who they're going to accept. Once you make it past the initial round, you get down to the second round where they're comparison. Um, in that round, again, there's a whole host of things that are compared. And one of the things they look at is, are we allowing our university to be representative, at least based on where national statistics are? And the problem is part of what Harvard uses to make these determinations is interviews. We know that interviewers have biases. And so one of the ways to help offset that is, yes, they give an extra tip based on race. So it's never necessarily an apples and apples comparison of, oh, you guys have the exact same things on paper. You're the one that gets in. There's too many criteria that are used to determine who actually gets in. Yeah. And by the way, I've interviewed uh, – um, Senior-level admin officials, not administration directors, uh, but senior-level admin people for a couple of Ivy League schools. So I'm totally um, uh, aware of uh, how complicated uh, the process yeah. is, and, and, and it's not, uh, and, and uh, no pun intended, black and white. <laughs> it is not at all that <laughs> clear or stark. Um, and uh, and so I get that, but I know that. I know that there are a lot of the you know a lot of the people who who rally in such horrific horrible ways and they probably would do it because they have a narrative that they have have grown into uh, anyway uh, they didn't if they didn't use affirmative action as an excuse they'd use something else as an excuse for how they behave uh, but there's a lot of genuine and I would say appropriate concern or resentment by poor white people more towards a a public policy system that doesn't get them any more than they get poor minorities. You know, they're not, they're not the right whatever any more than, than minorities are in so many different ways. And so I, I, get the, I get the resentment. I mean, it goes back to what I said. You and I could talk for hours. We only be scratching the surface. Um, I would like to know how they're going to change this going forward because I have to fundamentally agree with your basic thesis that these schools are going to be less diverse, not more. Well, and, and part of the problem, too, and I know a lot of people are not going to want to hear it, but the truth is, as a society, we have society, this country has intentionally for years enabled, I mean, uh, hindered African-American progress. And so we have to start to make up for that. And that's part of the reason why these programs were implemented in the first place. And we're talking about the very late 60s, early 70s. When we, so we're not talking a huge period of time since we have started to try to right the wrong of what this country has done to minorities, specifically African Americans in this country, and how they have limited us and, and held us down. And we are still dealing with the results of that today. And that is part of the reason why in many areas, 
We are still behind, and that's part of the reason why we're not getting fair chances. And so the country does have to rectify that, and that's another reason why affirmative action programs were so key and so important. And so I do understand that there are groups who feel like, oh, we, we wouldn't be accepted either. I get that. But this country needs to make right how it intentionally, intentionally hindered and held back African-American people for centuries. And um, this court has just alleviated, has just gotten rid of one of the ways in which this country is trying to make it right for the wrong that it caused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say all the debate uh, on, on changes, uh, very little are in the realm of affirmative action type of change. Uh, so much of it seems to be aimed at uh, potentially making things worse. And I'm not just talking about the court. I'm talking about public policy in general. And really, we're getting into the essence of one of the problems of a democracy, aren't we? Um, and so you, whites still are, what, 65% of the population in this country? Many of the ones who are most adamantly um, hostile towards blacks are the poor and middle class who feel like they're competing Correct. against a, a group that uh, has an advantage in their minds, right, in the minds of a person who's poor and, and white, you know, why are they getting a break? I've got nothing, and they're getting, you know, and so you've got all of that, and then you've got other minorities that are not black that often align themselves value priority-wise, advantage-wise, where in many ways they're much more white than they are black. I'll take the Asian population, for example. Yes, but a lot of those minority groups also benefit from affirmative action, as do white women. Let's be clear. They've been huge benefactors from affirmative action programs, especially as it relates to the workplace. So it's, it's, it's not just, again, these things are very complicated, but these programs are not limited to just blacks. They have helped other no, minorities as well. Yeah. And, and, again, it's all about wrongs. This country put, uh, you know, this was a country that enslaved African-American people. This was a country that then after slavery went through and held us in reconstruction, and, and um, then we went through black codes, and then we went through, had to fight a civil rights movement in order to uh, get rid of separate but equal. This is a country that has held us back. And so even now, to this day, if you look at our economic prowess, if you look at our rates of home ownership, if you look at our schools versus minority, majority white schools, and listen, I get it. We're not going to include every person. There are some rural school districts that are poor, too, but Percentage-wise, it's not even a comparison if you compare where the majority of white people go to school versus African-Americans. And the funding system for that, right, has been property taxes. Once again, black schools, poor neighborhoods, we're charging them less, less resources. It's ridiculous. And so all of these inequalities need to be addressed. How do we create a colorblind equal society in a society that continues and persistently creates inequalities for people of color? So if society isn't colorblind, I just don't see how, you know, our laws can be colorblind. I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's a very complicated uh, subject. My point was uh, – you're, nothing can negate your argument, and I would concur with your argument, uh, argument yeah. about the treatment of blacks. It is horrific. The only thing, you know, I mean, there's a unique form of abuse and disgust that, uh, you know, disgusting in terms of treatment uh, for Native Americans and blacks that's unique to them more than any Correct. other ethnic groups. I mean, it's off the chart different. It's almost like sci-fi dystopian uh, different. 
And so I, I totally, I totally get that. What my, my, my argument is, is that in majority rule situations, uh, it, it, it makes it very difficult for minorities, in my opinion, minorities, yeah. particularly for the blacks, to be able to get the advances they would like to get. I, I fundamentally, my attitude really is, when I see how little both parties have done historically for blacks, uh, I have come to the conclusion that, uh, you know, and I go back to uh, Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson casually used the N-word to describe black people. Yeah. Talked about the Voting Rights mm-hmm. Act and how he would, how whites would, how the Democratic Party would own blacks. He literally used that expression, from now on we will own blacks. What an offensive expression. I, I really believe the two major parties operate with Republicans being terrified of blacks and Democrats <laughs> using them. I really believe that's basically the basic modus operandi of both, both of those parties. No, I agree. I agree. There's a lot of flaws in our two-party system as it relates to African-Americans. Um, you're absolutely right. And you are right. Uh, African-Americans and Native Americans have been treated horribly. But the country did at least try to rectify with the Native American tribes, right? They've given them reservations and, and uh, resources to able to build their communities. We've gotten nothing. And now the court has once again taken back or rolled back one of the protections we did have. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe almost right. everything that you described for Native Americans has made their lot worse rather than better. I believe that because I, what they did is they treated them like yeah. pets. I mean, literally treated them like pets. The average uh, mortality mortality rates for Native American men is in the low fifties, and so uh, you know what? It, 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 what's it maybe so. I don't. I yeah. I'm not really in that community, so I don't want to dive too deep into that. I, I don't know. Um, a whole lot about yeah. what what goes on specifically there. I do know, though, that at least the government attempted to make it right. Now, whether it went wrong or right or, or didn't work the way they wanted to, um, with us as a community, there's always seems to be a resistance. It always seems to be a fight. It always seems to be, no, we're not going to do anything to make up for what you went through. Just get over it and move on. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and move forward. And to a degree, we have to do that because that's the only way we can be successful. We can't linger in it. But at what point do we say no to both parties? You're right, because both parties have been terrible at it. At some point, we have terrible. to say no. You you yeah, do owe terrible. us, and you do need to try to make it right, and you do need to fix it. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible when you think about it. All right, well, we had fun. It was stimulating, all of which I expected. Um, the court decision remains the same. It'll be interesting to see how they implement change. Uh, I'm, I'm certain they're going to try uh, because, you know, there's great value from a perception uh, uh, aspect alone to, for, for, you know, to pursue affirmative action or helping minorities uh, in the academia. There's that value, that perceived value. A lot of uh, support from foundations are predicated on that, uh, regardless of government dragging their feet. So it'll be interesting to see because, you know, there's an entrepreneurial nature to everything, including academia. It'll be interesting to see how they uh, respond, how they try to compensate for this, because it, it will create issues. Warren, final thoughts as we wrap it up? Always love chatting with you. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you so much. I'll just say, you know, uh, the decision is, it stands, and this is, again, elections have consequences. This is what happens with elections. People are elected, they nominate people to the court, and the court makes this decision. So think about that as you continue to think about, you know, who you're going to vote for and, and elections. Know that they do have serious consequences. Absolutely. Warren D. Robinson, WarrenDRobinson.com, a show favorite, a personal favorite. Love having you on the program. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I'm Kevin Price. Stay tuned for more after this.